Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 104. Today's episode is all about the forgotten history of the goddess. One of the ways that I approach spirituality is there are no hierarchies and there are no gurus. Whether we're in body right now or an archetypal energy is out of body and having a different experience, it's an opportunity to connect with beings who may have wisdom or healing that can help us. And if we think of it that way as a a friend, sort of, and also a reflection of a part of ourselves, because we're all the same being, and we have everything within us. And so by looking at a reflection of a goddess, for example, it lets us feel that part of ourselves and tap into that part of ourselves, too. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Real quick, don't forget to subscribe. Seriously, hit that little subscribe button right now. More subscribers means even better guests, which means more value for you. Plus, it helps grow the show. So please subscribe and help more people get a little dose of mind love each day. Hello, friends and wild minds. First, I want to give a shout out to Brittany Sharp. She left the most amazing podcast review, which, as you guys know, I totally appreciate. Her review says, I never understood the podcast hype until I listened to Melissa Monti's podcast. Mind love is so easy to listen to. I never find myself getting tired or spacing out while listening to it like I have with other podcasts in the past. The topics are diverse and bring up a lot of inner dialogue. It's stimulating for beginners and people that are seasoned in self-help, mental awareness, etc. And it always reminds me of exactly what I need to hear. Even if the topic isn't something that fits my life or my journey, it's still insightful every single time. It always brings me right to the mindset I want to be in. It's comforting and brings you all the confirmations you need. Thank you so much, Melissa. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. That review totally made my whole week, so I'm sending you so much love. And now let's get into some goddess energy. I've done a few episodes on the divine feminine, and every time I do, I get so many people screenshotting and sharing on Instagram, which I love, so please keep doing that. But it just shows me how much these topics are needed. There are a few reasons why I think we get so pumped up about it. Imagine you didn't have a family, or you never really fit in with yours. And then you took one of those 23andMe DNA tests, and it came back and you found out that you had this whole family that you never knew about. A family that was supportive and loved each other, and was so happy to welcome you in. Suddenly Christmases were full of love, and you had a whole feast for Thanksgivings. That's kind of how I feel when I learn about the history of women and the divine feminine. It's like there's this whole feminine energy family waiting to embrace me. It's easy to get caught up in the lies we were told, that women were always viewed as weak, and they've slowly been climbing their way up, proving themselves so we have equal rights. But that has not always been the case. 
maybe in America or some other countries. But a deeper look at history tells a different story. Women were once powerful and sacred and full of wisdom and intuition and a connection to goddess energy. I read the book by Mama Gina called Pussy. It's not as raunchy as it sounds. It's actually fascinating. Did you know that women used to end wars just by flashing their girl parts? Yeah, we had that kind of power. So today we're talking to Amy McCree, a holistic health expert and author of 11 books, including her newest one, A Little Bit of Goddess. She is going to give us an introduction to the divine feminine and how we can connect to our own goddess energy. Three key things we will learn are how to know if we need to balance out our masculine and feminine energies, concepts and traditions from the time of goddess worship that have been erased from history, and how we can embody goddess energy to elevate the planet. Before we dive in, have you signed up for the Morning Mind Love yet? Sometimes we all need a little boost to start each day with a positive mindset. The Morning Mind Love does just that. It delivers short, daily, inspirational messages for free. People message me every single day saying that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Like Carrie, who said, your morning mind loves are the foundation of my day, and I look forward to them every morning I arrive to work. You've become a part of my daily ritual, and I couldn't be more thankful. And then there's Casey, who recently replied to one saying, this made me cry. I can't even tell you how much these daily emails mean to me. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some great free gifts when you do, like a free 30-minute binaural affirmation meditation and a free workbook to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Amy McCree to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So what's your story? A lot of what you focus on is spirituality, and it seems that you connected to that at a pretty young age. So what was the background on that? How did you first open up to your spirituality? Great question. I was born a little bit different than other kids. So I had a lot of learning disabilities and I had kind of a challenge in school. But over time, I came to learn how to harness those what seemed like disabilities, which were actually talents and gifts and blessings, and sort of channel them into my work as a holistic health expert and as an author. And as you know, I'm launching my 11th book this month. Oh, 11th. I thought it was six. Jeez, that's so inspiring because writing one book is so labor intensive and there's so much processing that goes with it. So that's so exciting. Thank you. It's definitely labor of love for me. And there's many numbers floating around in all different versions of my bio. So I'm not surprised you saw six. (laughs) So just to give people a clear picture, you mentioned that there were certain things that you initially viewed as disabilities. And I know that so many of us walk around like there's something wrong with us when there's really not. So what types of things were initially a struggle that ended up being gifts? I was diagnosed with learning disabilities in grade school. So my handwriting was really completely illegible and I couldn't help it. I had a ADHD inattentive diagnosis and things like that. And so I learned over time to understand that, for example, ADHD is a gift of creativity in my case. 
and the ability that I have to generate ideas that then eventually can turn into books is a big part of that. And getting chastised in school for not being able to do well in handwriting didn't end up mattering years later when now we type everything. So I think it's just a matter of seeing who you are, knowing your strengths, knowing your challenges, and tailoring a life around that. And then also, for me, a big part of it has been persevering toward the goals that I desire and not stopping and just to keep going. How did you initially come about to understand that those could actually be gifts instead of a disability? When I was 18 or 19, I guess 18, I graduated high school when I was 17. And so when I was 18, I went to college for physics and I failed out because I didn't have study skills. I didn't know how to study. I never had. And with all these learning disabilities, that was something that didn't come naturally. So I actually read a book by Edward Hallowell called Driven to Distraction. And that helped me understand ADHD. And to some degree, I was able to extrapolate that to the other learning disabilities and begin to unravel those talents. Fast forward 10 plus years, and then Dr. Daniel Amen came on the scene with his book, The Six, and then he revised it to the seven types of ADHD. And it really helped me understand myself. And so that's one of the things I tell people who do come to me with learning disabilities is it's imperative to understand your own brain. That helps you see your strengths, your gifts, and the things that you could use support with so you can create the life that you desire. I love that message. And it's really become mine as well, where I think one of the biggest issues that we have as a whole is that we don't spend enough time really understanding ourselves and getting to know ourselves. And then we wonder why we are in middle-aged or in our 30s and we have no idea what our passions even are because we haven't taken time to explore that. And so one of the things that keeps coming up and that I realize my listeners love when I talk about is understanding the divine feminine and the masculine and feminine energy that we each hold, which is perfect because that's what your latest book is about. So I'm curious, what made it pertinent for you to decide to focus this next work on the divine feminine? Great question. My latest book, A Little Bit of Goddess, An Introduction to the Divine Feminine, was born out of a book proposal I had done that didn't sell. And so that's another little touch point on the importance of perseverance. If it doesn't work one time, then you try again. And so that initial book was definitely motivated by the political climate. I will get political here. Hopefully it doesn't alienate anybody. But the fact that we had just elected someone who was admitting to sexually assaulting women. And that was a problem for me. And I thought, a part of my work as a holistic health expert and medical intuitive is to work with people's spirit guides. And the divine feminine and that essence for us as women is so critical. And so I felt one of the things I could do to try to add to the zeitgeist in a way that was going to underscore and lift up the matriarchy was to write as many books as possible about the divine feminine and to help us as women tap into that part of ourselves. I read something about you that was really intriguing about your tattoo. You said that the left side of your body symbolizes the divine feminine, which isn't something that I really knew. Can you tell us about your tattoo and what it represents? 
Sure. Gosh, I don't even know where that would be. You were digging around on, online. I love that. I have a tattoo on my left big toe and it's henna colored and it's old. So it's very faded. You almost can't see it actually. And it's an ankh, which is the Egyptian symbol of life. And when I was 23, I placed that tattoo on the left side of the body, which is symbolic of the feminine in my medical intuitive work. And on the big toe, which is symbolic of the will. So I was committing to join my will with the will of the goddess in a way that for the highest good of all life and only enhancing to me. And so at 23, that was a commitment I made. In a way, we would almost call it a commitment to service, but from a really mutually beneficial context. So that's what my tattoo means. That is such a fun question. Wow. I just love the symbolism with the body or different things that we've never really thought of before. And there's something about symbolism for me that can immediately put me in a state of mind when I have something more grounded like that to anchor it to. So I just loved that the left side of the body is the divine feminine. And it's something that maybe I could use in my visualizations or something like that to connect to that part of me. Absolutely. And when you are thinking about the energy of the body, the way it flows, sensations you may be experiencing in your body. If they're on the left, they may pertain to your feminine side. And if they're on the right, they may pertain to your masculine side. And when you extrapolate that further, if they're ancestrally sourced, if they came down through your genome in an energetic manner, then it might be associated with a feminine or a masculine ancestor as well. So the side of the body that things are happening on sometimes gives us a lot of information. So let's talk about that balance between the masculine and feminine energies. We know that our world has shifted into the masculine for quite some time, but it does seem like we're at least attempting to recalibrate. How can we tell personally within each one of us if we are living more in our masculine than our feminine or vice versa? Great question. And I do want to say, too, I I think we are in a process of that recalibration and coming to a place of equality and balance. And it's there's some growing pains happening right now in society, but that's the direction we're going in. And as far as in the body, we would really like to have like a great balance where we're able to tap into our masculine and our feminine sides in a way that's holistic and moves our lives forward in a balanced way. So to tell us we're too much in the masculine would be if we're always doing, 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 going, going, going taking action, thinking, and doing. If we're in our feminine, we're in a more receptive state and we're feeling and being and being present. So if we can find a good balance of those two things and we can find a way to live, I think, a happy life and a holistically healthy life. So the constant to-do list and those of us women who don't stop, we just go all day, we give everything of ourselves to our families, to our clients, to our work, to our society, and we don't keep anything for ourselves. That's how we get burnt out. And that's the neglected feminine side. Because the feminine side is about feeling, it's about being, it's about feeling good, feeling pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but pleasure in everything we do, pleasure in movement, giving ourselves self-care activities that feel good. That's how we nourish our feminine to balance a very active masculine which is kind of how we function in the world to some degree. And so the consequences of not being able to achieve that balance is burnout, you'd say? I think burnout, but there's plenty of women, I'm sure we can all think of women in our lives who 
don't burn out, they live that way because they have families, responsibilities, jobs, and a lot falls on them. And so perhaps the quieter consequences, lack of joy in one's life and not getting to take the time and enjoy the beautiful things in our lives. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the divine feminine. What really intrigues me is just how much of our history has been almost erased or painted over. What are some of the things that you feel like we should know about the goddess or about divine feminine history that isn't really in most of our memory banks? It's a great question. And there really is so, so much. Something that's really seasonal and pertinent is here we are in the month of October and we're coming up on Halloween. And Halloween was actually a holiday based upon the goddess. It was Samhain. And it was the night where the veils between the worlds are thinnest. And so the ancestors and the spirit, mostly helpful spirits that were part of our spirit family would be readily and most available to us. And so we would use pumpkins, gourds, squashes as offering, autumn harvest, as an offering to the goddess. And then we would also put out altars with sweetbreads and cakes, which now would translate into the 
practice of giving candy, and we would put those out to the ancestors as an offering to ensure their favor. So there were lots of things like that that were woven into the majority of human history before we shifted from a more matriarchal spiritual model to a patriarchal one. And not to say it was exclusively matriarchal, because during many of the times when goddesses were worshipped, there were also corresponding male deities that were worshipped. There, For example, at the time that we would call Christmas was the Feast of Yule, which celebrated Mithras, Odin, Apollo, all kinds of male sun-like deities. And they had a mother deity, a divine feminine deity that was associated with them. And so both the masculine and the feminine were celebrated during these feasts. And so we had a shift for whatever reason, probably a desire to bring about control and gathering of resources to move into a patriarchal model. And so now women are dialing that back, taking that back and trying to re-educate ourselves. So I know that the autumn and winter are both times that are on the darker side of the planet and not in a negative way, but just that's how the rotation of the earth goes. So what are some of the ways that we can best align with the divine feminine during this time of year, both in the autumn and the winter? The autumn is the time for cleansing and dreaming with the goddess. And so we can align with these autumnal goddesses that help us with our intuition and the process as we're beginning to go within and cleanse and let go. And as we move towards winter solstice, winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. And it is the day where the sun, S-U-N, is reborn in the form of the sun, S-O-N, whoever that would be, Apollo, Mithras, Odin, all of these, even the Yeshua, Demuzi and Tamuz and Mesopotamian religion. So as we move through autumn and towards winter solstice, we go deeper and deeper within until we reach the shortest day of the year where we've emptied ourselves, we've cleared ourselves, we've, we've dreamed deeply with the goddess. And then on solstice, the light begins to return as we build towards equinox. It's kind of like the new year for us if we were going just strictly with seasonal cycles. So then we begin the process of rebuilding, building our intentions, building our manifestations for the rest of the year. And we work with goddesses, still our winter goddesses, moving into some of our springtime goddesses as we look at how do we want to rebirth ourselves as the sun has been reborn and the light within us is being reborn to be manifest in the world. And so we ask the favor of the goddess energy and the divine feminine within us so we can be in harmony and do these things most effectively. So that almost makes sense as to why New Year's resolutions would be a thing or why we'd be so pumped up to make a change right around the new year, right? Yes, it's the time to start building for your next seasonal cycle. Absolutely. What is really intriguing to me, so I recently stayed at an Airbnb and they had this amazing pop-up book about all of these gods throughout history. And it included Greek gods and African gods and different things. And so there's so many different archetypes or really characteristics of these gods. How would you say that geography of where they came from plays a part in their different traits and characteristics? 
it's such a fun question. And I actually have a whole chapter and a little bit of goddess about this because the geography of the goddess does influence aspects of it. For example, in Norse traditions, there's a lot more things that we would associate with cold weather and snow and ice and things like that. And with our African goddesses, there's a lot more things that are considerably more tropical. But it's really also super interesting to see the things that are the same. We have a myth about the evening star, which is usually the planet Venus, throughout many different goddess cultures all over the world that is about the goddess figure journeying to the underworld and bringing back her lover, who's a representation of the divine masculine. And so this symbology of the evening star goes through Greek, Roman, Babylonian, Mesopotamian, even aspects of Christian religion, African religion. There's a little bit of it in some Asian religion. It's really all over the world where the goddess was thought to go to the underworld, which is representative of the subconscious. And it's the inner journey within to retrieve the shadow pieces and the dismembered pieces of the divine masculine, bring these back together and bring herself into wholeness, her feminine and her masculine within in an alchemical intermarriage. So really, really interesting how we have absolutely geographic differences, but we have a lot of similarities. This could be because of trade routes and these stories began to be traded and talked about. These were the myths of modern day. And I often think nowadays our sort of celebrity culture and talking about these celebrities and who's dating and who's doing what are kind of like our own version of mythology. And these some of these celebrities represent archetypal beings, you know, George Clooney or whomever, like these top celebrities are, are archetypal to us in some ways. And if we think back to when these stories were being traded, there was cross-pollination. So there's a lot of similarities. So it's really interesting, the things that are different and the things that are the same geographically. I remember somebody telling me once that it's really interesting how, depending on where you're from in the world, which religions came to be the dominant religion. And they were saying how it tends to be what we need the most in our culture, whereas places with different dictatorships or a monarchy oftentimes will have a religion with multiple gods, whereas over in our democracy, the main dominant religion is something that's one god, and it's a way that balances out what we're currently living. But I remember when we, I took a world religions class in college, and I was raised Christian, which I don't identify with anymore, but I remember learning about these different things that I had already known about because I had read the Bible and was constantly fed these messages in Sunday school and whatever. And hearing that there might be a Greek religion or a religion over here that has such similar parables with slight differences based on maybe what they needed or what they related to within their culture. So that makes so much sense. And it really is fascinating and was one of the first things that got me to think, wait, if they're teaching the same general thing over here maybe what's closer to the truth is the things that all of these have in common rather than what separates it. Absolutely. And maybe even to expand our minds that all of these things are true and a lot of these things aren't necessarily hard and fast, that there's a lot of flow and differences in the subconscious makeup of people in different areas geographically and also throughout history that our 
vision of the divine is shaped by our internal reality. And so when we externalize the divine, it's simply a mirror of where we're at. That's how I think of it as well. So another one of the traditions or concepts that seems to have almost been erased, at least I never learned about it from the time of goddess worship, was the one about the triple goddess. So what is the triple goddess? Oh, such a great question and such an important archetype. So the triple goddess is the maiden, the mother or lover, and the wise woman. And sometimes you'll hear the wise woman referred to as the crone. And what this speaks of are the different rites of passage in a woman's life and the different stages which we go through. So as the maiden, we are independent and unencumbered. And we have goddesses like Artemis who symbolize that, the huntress. And then as we move into the mother or the lover, because she doesn't have to have children, we have goddesses like Aphrodite, goddesses like Hera, goddesses that are about either being fully mature, fully ripe, exploring our sensuality, and or goddesses that are about nurturing and childbearing and having fertile years, including fertile ideas. So really living our creativity and full expression. And then eventually we have the archetype of the wise woman, sometimes called the crone, which is moving into these wisdom times. Goddesses like Hecate, goddesses like Kali, who bring wisdom and also bring destruction to make space for rebirth. And as the woman goes through the life cycle, at the end of the wise woman time, we go to through as the ultimate rebirth in the form of leaving our body to go do whatever we do next. So the triple goddess is about our lives as women and about our ability to manifest in the world as independent, strong women, and then to give life, create ideas, express our fullness at the right in the ripeness of life, and then to be wise and care for other women and advise other women. And all of these things come together to make a full picture of the divine feminine. It's really beautiful. It is. And while it does seem like kind of like the life cycle, the maiden when we're younger, mother, lover, when we're a bit older and we're ripening (laughs) or we're Uh going through menstruation and then the wise woman as we age. But it kind of has me thinking about how often in my own personal journey, inner child stuff keeps coming up. And it seems like even if we are moving through these different archetypes, it's also really important to connect with all of them at the same time. Or So is it true that we kind of need part of all of this regardless of what age we are? Exactly. And absolutely. And for example, I got divorced a few years ago, which turned out to be a really great thing. And my ex-husband and I are still friends. And it was a really nice way that I felt I revisited that independent archetype. And it fueled the birth of ideas in a new way. So I think we come back to all of these archetypes And we tap into our wisdom, wise woman archetypes when we need guidance as well. So it's so important to connect with all three. Absolutely. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. 
It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So if we are realizing that we're kind of lacking one or the other, maybe it's that youthfulness or maybe it's the nurturing side. How do you recommend that somebody goes and reconnects with this in a way that they can feel? Because I know a lot of people don't really have a spiritual practice that they understand how to work with. So it would be great to have a little bit of illustration almost on how to connect with these things to kind of support the energy that we're trying to conjure up. Absolutely. In my book, A Little Bit of Goddess, in the chapter about this, we have some charts and some listings of all the different goddesses and sort of where they fall. So connecting with those specific goddesses is a way to 
have an external focus to bring those qualities out within us. But beyond that, for the independent maiden side, it can be absolutely inner child work and really coming back into play and the things that give us joy in that way. It can also be empowering oneself, feeling that independence that we don't need anyone else to protect us or to influence us. So that kind of empowerment and playfulness can help with the maiden, the sort of archetype of the single woman in a way too. And then for the lover, for the mother, it's giving birth to our ideas, being a mature adult, persevering, and then also really delving into our sensuality and that lover side of ourselves. The fact that our pleasure and our ability to create life are tied together. And even if we don't intend upon having children, when we tap into that fullness and that creativity within ourselves, experiencing pleasure, making time for pleasurable things that would also kind of fall into the same thing about those fun things in that earlier stage category. So if we really do make time for joy, make time for pleasure, we can connect to those parts of ourselves because that's also our feeling and our being, like I talked about, and taking us out of thinking and doing. And then to connect with our wisdom side, journaling, automatic writing, spirit writing can be super helpful. And to connect with those wise wisdom-based goddesses, Athena, Hecate, different goddesses who can help us tap into that intuition we have within us. And also spending time with perhaps elders, if you have a spiritual mentor, even a grandparent, to hear their wisdom, to take time to be present, to take in that wisdom can also help us connect with that part of ourselves. And to some degree, it's just intention as well. What I find super interesting is being raised as a Christian, I developed this ability to, first of all, hold blind faith, and second of all, be skeptical of absolutely everything else, <laughs> which is a really weird thing to have. You know, it's like my first instinct is both to doubt and want to fully put my whole being into something. Well, what I realized when I was really expanding my spirituality is that even during the point of skepticism, there can be such a beauty in really understanding these different characteristics of gods. And what I think of is, so Napoleon Hill talks about his invisible counsel in Think and Grow Rich and basically being able to tune in to different people. Like maybe, <laughs> I know this is before his time, but some people on my invisible counsel have been Gabby Bernstein or... Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, just because I know enough about them to be like, well, what would that person do? And it allows me to sort of step into their consciousness. Well, when we know all these characteristics of different gods and godlike energy, we can, whether or not we fully believe that this is a being out there to be worshipped, whether that's in your spiritual practice or not, just really understanding all their characteristics can allow you to step into those characteristics, whether you think of them as more of an illustration of a type that you can be or actual real spiritual energy out there. Absolutely. And these are archetypal beings. And I'm not into worshiping anything personally. I think of these beings as friends. And I think one of the ways that I approach spirituality is there are no hierarchies and there are no gurus. Whether we're in body right now or an archetypal energy is out of body and having a different experience, 
it's an opportunity to connect with beings who may have a wisdom or healing that can help us. And if we think of it that way as a friend, sort of, and also a reflection of a part of ourselves, because we're all the same being and we have everything within us. And so by looking at a reflection of a goddess, for example, it lets us feel that part of ourselves and tap into that part of ourselves too. So I think that's a really helpful way to think about it. And it's not about putting blind faith in anything. And I'm certainly not a proponent of that personally. It's about seeing these archetypal energies, connecting with them if we choose and letting them enhance our lives, taking what serves us and leaving the rest. So another thing that I have experienced on my own journey, <laughs> when I used to work with startups. And I found that in this one particular startup I worked in, there was a lot of competition between the females. And it was one of the first things that got me to realize, wow, women need to support each other more. And mind you, this particular instance was fueled by the CEO. He'd kind of pit people against each other, mm. which is why I left it. But one of the things that I really connected with in my own research of the divine feminine, and I know that you mentioned in your book, is the idea of the red tent. So you talk about the feminine blood ministries and how basically all women in the village would menstruate at the same time on the new moon. And then they'd go into the red tent and the younger people would feed them sweetbreads, which is kind of like our cake and chocolate. So talk about that a little bit and why it was so important for women to come together and support each other in that way. Absolutely. I love that question. I'm so glad you asked about that. First of all, because we were existing in villages and around each other a lot and outside of technology, our cycles were able to sync up, which sometimes we'll see with the women we spend a lot of time with, our cycles will also sync up. And then, yes, we got to have our sweet breads, basically our cakes, which is kind of like our chocolate. And during our menstrual cycle, we're at our, not necessarily our most intuitive, because we're always intuitive, but our intuitive senses are heightened. And so it's a great time to go within and also to spend time with other women and to have that camaraderie and that support and that nurturing and also to, to see. And so when we did have training in the blood mysteries in certain parts of the world, that would be the time where our visions would even be stronger. Perhaps we had certain rituals that we did and we would all support each other. And so it was a way of continuing our evolution. And in modern times, these things exist as well. My late medicine teacher, who was an amazing spiritual leader for many of us, for a time had a new moon circle and we did gather on the new moon. And not everybody was on their moon time then because the world was different. But it was a way to come together and do that, support each other and delve into our intuitive senses for the purpose of healing and evolution. So that's one of the beautiful things about the Red Tent. And sometimes I think we lack that now. I have a new moon goddess boot camp I run sometimes where we meet on the phone because we're all over the country and the world. And we gather in that way. We do ritual together and we connect. and tap into the power of the new moon, which is the time where we set intention, kind of like the new year we were talking about. It's the time where we set intention for the next month. And so we can see, we can use our intuition, and then we can create manifestations as well. It's so amazing how 
our bodies coincide so much with the cycles of the planet. And you're right. There's so much technology and different interference nowadays that it's not always going to be completely synced up. But there's still so many ways that we can empower the cycle that our body is going through, the cycle that we're in on the planet. So what is a way that we can kind of reenact that same thing? Maybe we have a circle of people going through our periods at the same time. Maybe we don't. That would really harness that time. It's a great question. And you can do like like I do and my teacher did and, and just have it on the new moon as well. Or you can have a full moon circle. It doesn't necessarily have to be when everybody's having that part of their cycle. But it's women gathering together, supporting each other, connecting with our power, and perhaps doing a ritual, a meditation, something like that, that lets us connect our wills, our hearts, our minds for a time and be a collective of divine feminine energy. And the feminine is by nature collaborative. And so when we tap into the collaborative spirit of the divine feminine, we build community and we're stronger together, quote unquote. I mean, that's a phrase we have now, but we are, we're stronger together. And so by taking that time where we meet, whether it's virtually or in person, with friends or people in a class or all of the above, we gather with women, we support each other. And for example, I'm a part of a mastermind group with some other authors. And we meet every month, we talk on the phone and we say, here's what's going on. And we help each other solve problems. The feminine collaborative spirit is powerful. And that's another way that we can help foster the matriarchy in this world. What do you think is one of these ancient practices that, because the more I learn about them, the cooler I think they are. It's like we had our shit together a hundred years ago. I don't know what happened. No, just kidding. But some of these ancient practices are so powerful, like gathering at the red tent and like collaborating with, with women in that way and really understanding our needs in a way that maybe we don't now. And I think that part of that is because we're so logical <laughs> that we don't tap into our intuition as much to really feel what we need. But do you have any other ancient practices that we don't do today that you think are much needed? I've been, I've been gathering together and passing down the wisdom of the feminine is really crucial. And a lot of that's been lost for a long time. These were oral traditions that were passed down from mother to daughter, grandmother to granddaughter. One of the things I think is really beautiful is when the women of the family and the tribe would come together to celebrate the first menstrual period of a young woman, to honor that. And I actually had a friend many years ago who was a healer, and we did that for her daughter. And it was really beautiful. It was an outdoor ceremony. It was all women, and it was just some gentle meditation and some things where we set our wishes, our intentions for the teenager. And she got to say some of hers and we highlighted some of her wonderful qualities. So she really felt good about herself. And then we had cake, even things like that, where we connect, we gather, we celebrate, and we could do the same thing for different rites of passage. In some ways, we do. When women have a baby, we have a baby shower. Now, is it commercialized and all of that? Sure, because that's where our culture's gone. But these are times where women gather and support each other. And that was part of the ritual back then. As far as specific rituals, it's hard to get into that in this context because it's usually kind of complicated and takes a lot of different skills and materials. But 
There are many rituals we do with everything from candle magic to ways that we make what we would call doing crafts nowadays, but we make spiritual crafts. Even the, that's where a lot of these things came together. And as women, when we do gather, we paint pottery or we talk, we share, we break bread, we share food. We are meant to collaborate. So just gathering and honoring the feminine, doing a meditation that honors the feminine, connecting in heart, connecting in mind, sitting in a circle, holding hands and doing a meditation. Even that is powerful. And then when we build our spiritual skill, connecting, sitting in circle, doing a meditation, and then doing something like a ritualistic scrying, where we're able to use our power to be intuitively through using elements of water and fire and nature and plants and herbs and nothing, of course, psychoactive just for aromatherapy purposes, but to see and tap into our intuition. So those are the places that can go when women gather with intention as well. I think most people loved crafts at one point of their life. And it's something that I feel like we allow to slip by. Like maybe we think it's a waste of time or it's not high enough on the priority scale. But as you were talking, I was thinking about what a great activity that is where I think it can combine the feminine and the masculine because you're technically doing like the masculine, but you're also in creation mode. And I feel like creation is such a feminine thing. Those moments of crafts, whether we make a hideous macrame that will never hang on our wall or what, it's still such a great way to get into that energy, wouldn't you say? It is an art, music, dance. All of these things are the feminine. I take many kinds of dance class now, and it's almost all women. Typically, there's maybe one man in there on a couple in the class, but some of them, there's no men there. It's women, and then we gather and we're, we're making art through movement as well, through sound. And through crafts, absolutely. We, and we're wired to some degree to create and to collaborate. And by not taking the time for the art, we are pushing and sort of railroading ourselves into only productivity and nothing that brings joy or pleasure, which is the masculine model as opposed to also having the balance of the feminine. And that's when people do get burnt out, when they do feel that they're out of touch with their creativity, whether they realize it or not, where they're out of touch with the pleasure of existence and the mindfulness of being present in the body. As women, that comes from our femininity. So thank you so much for the wisdom you shared today. I always feel this feeling inside of me when I'm reconnecting with some of this forgotten female history. And it's it goes to show you how powerful understanding where we truly came from is for us instead of feeling like we're like crawling out of the bottom of the barrel still wanting voting rights (laughs) whatever we've had to do as women it's like we weren't always in that place that was just an unfortunate part of the evolution of our planet there were times where the goddess energy was celebrated and we can reconnect to that in our day-to-day lives so for listeners that are interested in learning more about this where's the best place that they can connect with you online they can find me on my website, amyleemercury.com, and on Instagram, all over social at amyleemercury. And my new book, A Little Bit of Goddess, takes you through all of these things. And it also has 10 to 15 meditations with different goddesses for things like prosperity, confidence, success, freedom, joy, happiness, 
all the things we're interested in, they're in there. So you can kind of connect with different goddess archetypes as well to find those strengths within you and and bring them forth. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 104. I personally love learning about goddesses or about any archetype that signifies something that I might want to be. And I kind of mentioned it in the episode, but I talked about Napoleon Hill's Invisible Council and how basically having a bunch of people, whether you've met them or not, in this kind of mindset of a mastermind, they're imaginary. You meditate and think about what they would possibly do. My husband and I talk about this a lot because we realize that the more we get to know each other, the more we can kind of tap into each other's psyches. And we each have our own talents and strengths and our own weaknesses. So sometimes when I'm struggling with something, I'll tap into him and say, what would Shane do? And because I know him so well, I can take an instance that I've never seen him actually deal with and have a pretty good idea of how he would handle it. I do the same thing with my mom sometimes. She's one of those people that will just get things done, no matter what. She's not a big procrastinator at all. If she knows something needs to go to the post office, she will do that. If everything in the house needs to be deep cleaned, that's what she's doing. Same with my stepdad, actually. He will spend a perfectly good Saturday deep cleaning the grill just because it needs to get done. And I'm like, Pete, it's 109 degrees outside because you live in the desert. Why would you choose this? And he's like, well, it needs to get done every few weeks. So sometimes when I'm procrastinating, like I tend to do, hold on, let me reword that because words are important. Sometimes when I'm procrastinating, like I've struggled with in the past, I will tap into them and say, what would my mom do or what would Pete do? And it actually helps. So this is one of the amazing benefits of having deep, close relationships and being really intentional about who you surround yourself with. In a way, the people you surround yourself with become a part of you, whether you let them or not. If you surround yourself with people that make the decisions that you don't want to make anymore, or that handle situations in what you consider the worst way possible, it's going to be so much easier to sink into those behaviors with them because they've already been justified. So limit your time with the people who are bad influences and ramp up your time with the people that you want to be more like. And even if you don't have those people quite yet, you can do what Napoleon Hill did and create an imaginary invisible council. Start studying the people that you want to be like. That's what's great about biographies and autobiographies. You get to learn the steps and the journey that specific people took to get where they are. And it can be hugely inspiring. But this does take getting clear, gaining a lot of clarity over who you want to become. And so if you're not there yet, you have no idea who you want to become, at least start taking some of your values or some of the things that you know you find really admirable and write those down. Next, start to think of who either in your life or in the public's eye has those traits or who has taken that journey already. Start to stack up those characteristics, learn as much about them as possible so that when you're presented with an obstacle or a challenge, you can tap into their mindset and figure out what they would do. 
it's one of the best ways to tap into parts of yourself that haven't yet been realized. Because like we always say, all of these things, all of the things you admire, even if you're not stepping into those shoes yet, are things that you are already inside of you. Even the things that you're triggered by are the things that are inside of you because people are mirrors. So instead of shining back on yourself all of the traits you don't like, be intentional with the people around you and the people you study so that you're constantly reflecting back the highest parts of yourself. So connect with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa and let me know who is on your invisible council. I'll be talking more about my invisible counsel on my story. So be sure to tune in for some extra free content between episodes on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Also think of the other goddesses in your life, whether it's your family, the matriarchy, or other girlfriends, or your sister, whoever. Send this episode to them so they can connect with their goddess. And if you loved this episode, please leave a five-star review. And I might just read it on the show and give you a little shout out. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.